0: Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW podcast and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World.
1: I'm Chris McBrian and the pop culture from Generation
0: X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
1: Episode 130, Memento movie review. <laughs> mcbryan along with derek myers and this is pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations you'll find me on twitter at c mcbryan and you'll find derek on twitter at amaron underscore dm and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information and if you download and listen to the show take a minute and leave a review for us on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to it. We'd certainly appreciate it. In order to uh, help us reach more of an audience, the uh, the reviews certainly, certainly do help in that regard, don't they, Derek? Absolutely. And uh, speaking of which, Derek, anything new in the world of pop culture in your world, my friend?
0: Well, not a lot of brand new stuff, more just an opportunity to revisit some old favorites. Um the only new thing that I want to just bring up is the new television show Picard. This is the Star Trek The Next Generation spinoff. I don't know, Chris, are you a big fan of Star Trek or Star Trek Next Generation? So the only thing I'll say on Star Trek is
1: this. So when I was a young kid back in the 70s, uh, I used to watch Star Trek. So every day, my day consisted of the same thing. I would go to school till three o'clock and then I would come home and I'm Canadian. So I would go out in the yard and I go out with my friends and we would play road hockey. And I'd play road hockey till 5 o'clock. And at 5 o'clock, I would come in the house and watch Star Trek. Star Trek, was the original series, was on in reruns at that point in the 70s, obviously. And I would watch Star Trek from five, uh, 5 until 6 and then have dinner. But, you know, as much as I loved that original series, I never got into The Next Generation or Babylon 9 or any of that other stuff. I never watched any of those other things. But I am familiar with Picard. Like I've heard about it, but I certainly haven't seen it.
0: Okay, so let me correct you on a couple of things there. <laughs> so I'm a little surprised you didn't at least give Star Trek Next Generation a try, because it started in the 80s. So that's still in your comfort zone. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. We'll get back to that. Uh, their spin-off, they had a number of spinoffs. They had Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They had Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, and they also had, uh, totally unrelated to that franchise, was a different franchise called Babylon 5. So just want to clarify that. Different shows. Or what did I call their- it? Did I call it Babylon 9? Something like that, oh, yeah. All, all the shows in their own right, if you are a sci-fi fan. But Star Trek: Next Generation, clearly the the one that sort of kicked off that syndicated uh, um, sci-fi television relaunch in the late '80s that that set the stage for a lot of other. Uh, television sci-fi to to gain a foothold. Anyway, one of the r- big reasons Star Trek: Next Generation became so popular is uh, Patrick Stewart. Pardon me, Sir Patrick Stewart was cast as the captain of the ship of the, of the Enterprise, and being a classically trained British stage actor, he brought a, a tremendous amount of credibility and gravitas to what could have been a very silly, campy show. And uh, over the years, he has clearly become a fan favorite. He's a great actor. He deserves all the accolades and recognition that he's received until then. And being such a popular actor, person, advocate, uh, he has um, – uh, they, they have done a spinoff of his character from Star Trek Next Generation. They've said, OK, it is 20, 25 years since the show ended. We're going to see what has happened in all that time since then. And that's basically the new show. uh, What they did is they're like, look, Patrick Stewart's got to be in his late eighties, I would guess, and uh, or even probably in his eighties. And um, you can't make a show where he's supposed to be twenty years younger. You got to cast him in the role that that mimics his real life. So the new show focuses on his character. But it's what if his character has already been retired for a number of years and they send him on? You know, it's the. Again, I don't want to ruin it for people who might be interested in watching it. It was great. But the season finale is happening. It's airing right now while we're actually recording this show. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go watch it. But it's been very solid, very good. A lot of. throwbacks to the old show a lot of like wink wink here's a here's references from the old show they brought back some supporting characters sometimes in larger roles sometimes in smaller roles where again if you've seen the old show there's a lot of uh, fan service but it's not done in such a way that it really feels forced so if you never saw the old show and you're jumping in at this point um you're you're not necessarily going to be lost uh solid solid show solid acting solid writing uh, I'm kind of curious to see how the finale plays out tonight, but they did pick it up for a second season, so we know as long as Patrick Stewart stays healthy and as long as um, you know the, the the studio doesn't go bankrupt or anything silly like that, that we're going to see more of the show. So I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing the finale tonight.
1: Well, I've got something pop culture related I can share with you as well. So myself, like the rest of the world right now, is under massive lockdown. So where I'm at home and I've got two young kids to try to entertain. And the funny thing is, is that I've shared this on the podcast before. My 10 year old, he watches anything that I like. Like he just eats it all up. It's awesome. But I also have a seven year old son and he doesn't like anything that's not animated. To get him to watch a live action show, whether it's a movie or a TV show, it's, it's impossible. So he just won't watch it. So then the other day we were like, we're sitting around and I said, we've got to watch a movie, you know, so we've got to watch something. So I ended up putting on, I tried a couple different things. My youngest, he didn't want to watch anything. The movie that he actually would sit through and watch that was live action, believe it or not, was from 1981 and it was called time bandits. Have you ever heard of it?
0: Absolutely. Terry Gilliam. Love yes. It it. I have seen it a long time, so I don't know if it holds up, but I have very fond memories of it. I would say this. I just watched it
1: yesterday. It does hold up. And the thing is, there's no CGI in this movie. And my kids loved it. And the thing is, when you're watching it, like two things went through my mind watching this movie. Number one, how did they do some of this stuff in this movie without CGI? Blows my mind. Number one. And number two, just the imagination on Terry Gilliam, to put this on screen. This film just oozes with just imagination. And maybe that's why my kids liked it so much, because every single scene in it is just off the charts. And of course, one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing is Michael Palin, when him and uh, Pansy played by, um, oh, what's her name? Shelley Duvall. When they they get, uh, they get these thieves kind of take over their their carriage and they tie them to a tree and michael palin is like uh, oh no i'm having the personal problem again and she's like oh no it's starting again he's like yes my personal problem i must have fruit and i have no idea what that means <laughs> my, my maybe my son's like what's that all about i'm like i don't know <laughs> i don't uh-huh. know what it means i've never known i've always found it to be a funny line but i don't know what it means but <laughs> time bandits was really good it's funny like i say my seven-year-old Does not want to watch live action films, but I tell you what, there's three movies that I have been able to get him to watch, to be able to sit and actually watch without just getting up and leaving. Even Star Wars. I made him watch Star Wars. He got up. We didn't even make it to Moss Eisley. Wow. He got up. Nope. I don't want to watch it anymore. He just, he's funny that way. But Time Bandits was one, The Princess Bride, and of all things, Close Encounters. Wow. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. He sat there and watched Close Encounters. Weirdest thing. I have never, as lo- long as I live, I will just never figure kids out. But I mean, wow. luckily, he likes all these Gen X movies too. So that's the way it is. Go. Anyway, on that note, let's get started. I've never seen Schindler's List. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's great, but I've just never seen it.
0: We have seen more movies than you.
1: When I just keep watching Stripes and Meatballs for the ten million
0: times. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of movies that I haven't seen. What is going on here?
1: Okay, so this week it was over to you, and you nominated Memento from 2000. Before we get into it, we're going to do a deep dive on the movie, as we always do, and I'll give you my thoughts on it, but to kick us off, Derek, I'd like you to just kind of start us off and tell us a bit about why you picked this movie, why you wanted me to watch it. Not only had I never seen this movie... I knew nothing about it. And one of the keys for you, you said to me going into this, you you were like, don't read anything, don't get any spoilers, don't look up anything online. So I didn't. I, I, I stayed true to it. I didn't know a thing going into it. I think I said to you when you first mentioned this movie, I was like, is Tom Cruise in this movie? (laughs) You're like, no. I'm like, okay, I know less than nothing about this movie. So it's good. So I went in completely blind into it. But uh, why don't you take us away and uh, tell me why this movie?
0: Okay. So before I do any description of this movie in any way, I just want to say, if you haven't seen this, if you're listening to this podcast and you have never seen Memento and you think it might be something you are even mildly interested in ever seeing, You need to stop listening because there's going to be some huge spoilers in like a minute. And they're the kind of thing it would be like if we were doing a podcast on The Sixth Sense. And the first thing I say, again, spoiler, if you've never seen The Sixth Sense, turn this off. But if you were going to do a podcast on The Sixth Sense and you start it off and you just say, Bruce Willis is a ghost. If you've never seen it before, there's no point in watching it now because the big reveal has been revealed and ruined. So with Memento, the big gimmick in this one is. The movie is told in reverse. The character has suffered an injury and does not have the ability to make new short-term memories. So he knows who he is and a, like he's lived his whole adult life as per normal and knows all of that stuff. Like he, he can speak, he can drive a car, he can brush his teeth. There's no problem with that. It's just after this traumatic incident, he can't make any new short-term memories. So he's constantly... Um, it's like waking up and not knowing anything that's happened to you. You wake up at a place you don't know where you are, you don't know if you've had something to eat, you don't know who the people around you are. And you see it in the movie. He's constantly like telling people, I have this memory condition. And like people are like, Yeah, we know, we've met you before, and you've tell us every single time. But the the creative thing, the reason I really wanted to watch this movie, I know that it came out after the nineties, so it's already gonna be tough for you to get into, is as a movie guy, the structure of how this story is told was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and I remember watching it when it came out in 2000. I went to the theater with a bunch of buddies. We watched this movie, and we came out and we were just like, we were blown away. Like this was a, a, a an exercise in movie making. This was something we had never seen before, and you had these strong actors. You had this interesting murder mystery type script. And just the way they told this story was unlike anything we'd ever seen before. It blew us away. And it it got us talking. Like any good movie, in my opinion, when you leave the theater, you want to talk about it. I mean, most of the time you talk about a movie when you leave the theater anyway. I loved it. I hated it, whatever. But this is the kind of movie that like days later, weeks later, we were were still talking about it. Like wasn't this creative? It wasn't this clever? And remember when this scene happened, it was one of these ones where – We were all working at the video store or had worked at the video store. So it was all these movie buffs and we were like, this is just – it's so clever the way they came up with this story where it's – you get three to five minutes of this this guy's life and then the movie rewinds. So again, it's told in reverse. So like the opening scene starts with a murder and you don't know who got murdered, why they got murdered, what the circumstances was, nothing. And then it skips backwards 10 or 15 minutes and then it's like, okay." this is exactly what happened just before the murder. And you're like, oh, I get it. But again, you are now put in a situation as the audience, very much like the main character, where you don't know what happened before and neither does he. And it was just such a clever way to tell a story. It's uh, So the director is Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's gone on to do insanely good movies. He did the, the reboot of the Batman franchise with Batman Begins, The Dark Knight. He did – uh, Insomnia, he did Inception uh, he did Interstellar I know you're not a big fan of Interstellar uh, based on your previous podcast with Yancey he did The Prestige uh, he just has a way of telling stories that end up being great uh, he's got a new one coming out this summer called Tenet which looks fantastic, again it's another sort of time travel back and forth kind of movie so I think it's going to borrow from this memento style of storytelling but just the, the way this story is structured to me Anyone who is a movie buff or who considers himself a, a student of film has to watch this movie. Whether or not you enjoy this, the story, the performances, everything else, just the construction of how this movie is put together is worth the two hours it takes to get through it. Now, I really, I hope you enjoyed it, at least on a technical level, if not on a, you know, complete level. But um, that was a big reason why I wanted you to watch this, especially knowing you had never seen it. You didn't know anything about it. You didn't know that, that it was told backwards. Um... And then, uh, you know, you get this this um, murder mystery that by the end of the movie, you you get a whole new appreciation for the story. You almost want to go back and watch it again. Now that you know, now that you as the audience know, you want to go back and watch it again and go, okay, that's why that's happening. Oh, that's why that's happening. But the first time through, just like the main, main character in the story, you don't know more than what you just saw five minutes ago. So with that, Chris, I'm going to throw it over to you. What do you think? What did you think? What were your first impressions? Did you like it? Not like it? Love it? Hate it? Tell me a little bit about your experience.
1: Okay, before I dive right into the movie, a couple comments on what you were just saying. I find it interesting that you say that you like this movie because it's an exercise in movie making and it's something that movie buffs should appreciate. But just last week, you said you didn't like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was an exercise in movie making and something that, you know, film buffs should like. So, it's just interesting.
0: I did say for Roger Rabbit, I could mm-hmm. appreciate its its importance to cinema history, even though I didn't care for the movie. I could certainly appreciate the technical uh, revolution that, like the, the the advancedness of what it was trying to do on screen. So from that point of view, but yeah, no, I can see what you're saying.
1: Though. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting doing this podcast. One of the things I like about doing this podcast, uh, there and there are many, by the way. Uh, but one of the things I like is it allows me to watch movies I never otherwise watch. I would I have not seen this movie until now i never would have watched it otherwise that's for sure and i will say as we go through this i'm gonna need some explaining to get me through this one Okay? okay like maybe some flow charts and a pile of notes or something to get me through it um when i first watched it you know like i say just the other just the other night i watched it for the first time and so when i watched it i i was a little confused you know obviously going through it and as we're going to come kind of come back and see now I realize that that's the point, <laughs> you know. Once yeah. I got to the end of the film, um, my my first impression when I left it was like, "What the hell did I just watch?" Um, so I wouldn't say that I overly enjoyed the film, but I will say to your point, I appreciate this as a you know an exercise in movie making. I, I appreciate it for the the, ch- the chances that it takes, the choices that it makes. I'm not a huge Christopher Nolan fan, as you pointed out. I've mentioned that before. But um, I do appreciate what he was doing with the film and what he was trying to accomplish. And like I say, for me, I was just confused the whole time. And then, you know, I realized at the end of the movie, well... I think that's the point you're supposed yeah. to be confused just to you know as well as the the uh, the lead character is right so like i said christopher nolan not the biggest fan of his uh guy pierce is in it now so the thing i know about guy pierce I, and i don't know much but I, I think he's married to madonna or he was married to madonna is that right uh
0: i that, have no idea that that's, that's news to me but that that's what i thought surprised me I'll look it up while you chat. Yeah,
1: you look it up. So the thing is, so I think, oh, this is the guy that's married to Madonna or that I heard. And so that brought me thinking as I'm watching this movie, because Madonna has kind of made a resurgence in the last couple of days because she's been putting out these videos online talking about, you know, the the coronavirus lockdown and all this stuff. And she's singing about all these things. And I realized Madonna is like, because this is an interesting tie into Gen X, as we do here on the podcast. What the hell happened to Madonna? Have you seen these videos? If you haven't, Derek, you got to look them up. Or if you're listening to this podcast and if you haven't seen these videos, you got to look them up. Not because they're good, they're awful. She is weird and bizarre. And the thing is with Madonna, she's had all this plastic surgery. So her face looks like. She looks like one of the wax creatures at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark that's going to melt. Like, it, I, I I just, it's freaking me out. But anyway, that's Guy Pierce
0: for you. Um, okay, let me jump in here. Hold on. Yeah. So you're thinking of Guy Ritchie, the director. Oh, this Guy Ritchie. Here's the actor. Okay, that's so why I get Why would it. you think that? That's why, yes. Yeah, so I don't no, know. No, no connection to Madonna here other than he might like her music. Okay, and he might, you know, be scared
1: when he sees her face and goes, who is that? <laughs> What happened to her? How can that be the like a virgin person? Uh, Joe Pantalone, P- Pantaleone is in this as well. And I think a lot of people remember him from The Matrix, which we reviewed on this podcast. So I've seen that movie. But you know where I remember him from? And I'll every time I see the guy, I always think of Amazon Women on the Moon. So it was never a movie, it. it was a movie from 1987 and it's kind of this spoofy movie of like what it's like to watch TV late at night and flip around the channel, you know, all the B movies that are on and all the infomercials and all that stuff. And he played a really small part in that where he was Cy Swerdlow and he was, it was like an infomercial for hair loss. M- remember, remember there were, there was that. Hair I've never cl- seen it. I, I, but there was a hair club I've for been, men thing in the eighties. You remember those commercials for the hair club for men where it would like yeah. grow Size your hair. Like- Cy Sperling, yes. Yeah. And this guy was Cy Swerdlow, and he had like this, it was like a carpet that they like stapled onto your head. It was just so stupid. But anyway, so I, I saw him in this. I'm like, oh, Amazon Women on the Moon. That's good. So like you mentioned, the movie starts out with the Polaroid of this bloody wall, and he's waving it. So you're like, okay, it just got taken. It's a Polaroid. But then you realize it fades, so it's going backward. And just like you said, this is complete nonlinear filmmaking nonlinear storytelling and but one thing that jumped out to me right from the beginning that I said to my wife because my wife watched this movie with me and I said to her I said his suit doesn't fit him properly
0: yeah that's one of the hints that things are not going to be what you expect yeah right away I caught I that too the first time through, yeah. I thought that suit doesn't look like it fits him but I sort of just dismissed it and it's not until the very end of the movie you understand why that's the case I didn't dismiss it I saw it and I was like there's a reason for this that
1: suit doesn't fit him something's going on but anyway so he's got all this stuff written on him and and on his hand it says remember sammy jankus and oh by the way that sammy jankus in those black and white flashbacks the the actor that plays him did you recognize him he's from groundhog day
0: a few things yeah
1: he was great he was ned the guy from groundhog day so i'm like oh i know that guy but my like i mentioned my wife watched this movie with me and five minutes into the movie just get started she turns to me and she says, and now you got to realize my wife hates every movie that gets nominated. Every time I get a, a movie on this podcast and I have to watch it, she's like, why are you making me watch this? This is the stupidest movie ever. She turns to me five minutes in, she's like, so far, I like this movie. The lead, She goes, it's interesting. And the lead actor is really hot. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so so I got I to put up with this. But like I say, he's got these notes all over his body. Like it says, fax, shave your left thigh. And there's a Polaroid. There's Polaroids with stuff written on them. Like he's the one. And then on his chest, it says, John G raped and murdered my wife. So he's got no short-term memory. His last memory is his wife dying. What is, again, I, I need a lot of explaining. To get me through this one, because this is because you've you've seen this movie more than once, I'm assuming.
0: Uh, so when it came on the theater, we watched it the one time in the theater and loved it. Couldn't wait for the video release when it came out on DVD. I bought it on the first day, watched it again. And then I think I maybe watched it again a couple of months later. So maybe let's say three times in the first six months of its release. And then I don't think I've seen it since then. So it's been 20 years since I saw it, but I remembered enough of the details but when I re-watched it this week, I I enjoyed it, and I remembered the broad strokes, but there was still enough that I had forgotten by that point that I was like, oh yeah, that's how that works. So yeah, but no, I, I definitely, I like this, I enjoy it, and it's certainly one of those ones that I would recommend to film buffs. But you've seen enough that you can help walk me through it, right? Well, I think so. And Again, I just watched it this week, so I think some of the details are fresh, but um, we'll see. We'll see. The last memory he has
1: is his wife dying. What's the cutoff of him losing his short-term memory? Is it it the blow to the head? Because if it's the blow to the head, how does he remember his wife dying? Is that a plot hole or is that just me?
0: Well, no. So it seems that he... The blow to the head was certainly the triggering incident. But you see him multiple times remember uh, that he is laying on the floor and seeing the wife. And... He talks about giving a description of what happened to the police. He's got this giant file folder that he's collected from his friends in the police department that explain what happened. So now the big question that I wasn't 100 percent sure of was, does he genuinely remember giving a statement after the incident or does he just keep rereading the details in the file? So what I kind of think happened was he suffers a blow to the head. He remembers what happens immediately after that and and does remember giving this statement. And then probably at that point, when he goes to sleep, that's sort of when his memory stops. Like it's – he sort of remembers the immediate aftermath of the trauma and that's it. Now, to the point I think you're making, in order for this to make 100% pure sense, you would think that the moment his head hits the wall, that should be – the zero point nothing after that but i think in order for the story to work you have to just accept that for the few minutes thereafter or maybe even the few hours thereafter he remembers enough to just know that something has happened for the rest of the story to work but beyond that clearly nothing beyond the day after that re- is retained in his memory at all now
1: i noticed his wife in the flashbacks is the girl from csi
0: yeah, and apparently she had lobbied really hard to be the to play the role of Natalie, which is the character that Carrie Ann Moss plays. And the director and the producers felt that Carrie Ann Moss was brought more to the to the role of Natalie, but they did like Georgia Fox's uh, addition enough that they wanted to keep her in the movie. And they felt that there needed to be a close resemblance to those two characters for it to really click with Leonard, the main character. So that's why they they cast her as his wife in the flashbacks.
1: Gotcha. I know Mary McCormick wanted the part of Natalie as well. She lobbied hard for it. Didn't get it, obviously. This movie reminded me a bit of Pulp Fiction. Just in regard to the non... uh, Yeah. In in terms of the nonlinear storytelling
0: approach. Yeah, it... It was a big so in my in my so it's funny you mention this because right now while we're recording this I have pulp fiction on in the background because it happens to be on one of our free cable channels right now so but what you're actually watching it right now I'm literally watching it. It's what what scene, scene is, right is it on right now? I love it. It's uh, Bruce Willis has just left the boxing match and he's in the cab with uh uh Esmeralda Villalobos, Villalobos which yeah. is probably my least favorite part of the whole movie mm-hmm. but uh anyway neither here nor there but no in the 90s you had a lot of movies pretty much starting with Pulp Fiction, where they do this whole nonlinear storytelling. There's a movie called Go. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. But it came out not long after Pulp Fiction. And it's the same idea where it's like one night adventure of these these college kids. And there's like overlapping stories where you see similar events told from different points of view. But it's this nonlinear storytelling idea. So you don't have all the facts all the time. And you, you, there was a lot of movies that realized after Pulp Fiction that you can really play with the audience and tell a, an interesting story through a non-linear way. And, uh, I think this Memento is sort if you think of Pulp Fiction as sort of the really first great one in the, in what year to come on, 94, 95. And then you have Memento in 2000 doing this whole backwards thing. I like, like those are almost like bookends and you have a bunch of crappy ones or less great ones that happen in between those two. Um, yeah, it was, it was, It was an interesting time for movies in the mid 90s. Now, in terms of the nonlinear
1: storytelling, there's sort of two scenes going on here in the movie, right? The the one in black and white and then the one in color. And the black and white one is more linear. The black and white
0: is 100% linear. And the color is
1: backwards.
0: Yes. So uh, again, I, I had to look this up just to be double to double check it and make sure. So we start with the first scene in the movie is in color which is a backward scene, or at least the first of the ones being told in reverse. And then you switch to a black and white scene. So on the DVD and the Blu-ray, there's a special feature where the movie has been recut so that you can watch it perfectly in linear order. And the way that, not that I've watched it, but the way it works out is all of the black and white scenes are presented first, in the order they appear in the movie, because those are told linearly, in in it all, you know, one after the other, in a way a normal story would be told. Then you get all of the scenes in color, told in the reverse order of the movie, which is chronologically correct. And again, you sort of lose some of the wow factor, because uh, in in essence, the story is not an overly exciting story. the The way the story is told is very much a part of the experience, even more so than the plot. The plot is just okay. Uh, But you combine this plot with this method of storytelling and it sort of elevates it. So yeah, the black and white scenes are all told in the correct order, start to finish. And that's the juxtaposition of the backwards scenes that are told in color. And a major
1: plot point, or at least a, a, a thing that's going on in the movie, is he has the two scratches on his cheek. And carrie Ann Moss has the one on her lip. Yes. You know, like that keeps playing. Like you keep seeing them with that. And I kept thinking, what the hell is that all about? Now, they showed him in the flashbacks that he's an insurance, or at least he talks about he was an insurance investigator. Yes. And his biggest skill was the ability to tell when people were lying,
0: right? As long as he could look them in the face, right. read the body language and see their eyes, which he constantly talks about. I'm not good on the phone. I want to see your eyes when I talk to you.
1: He, the scene where he wakes up in bed next to Carrie Ann Moss and Mm -hmm. he's still wearing his pants and his belt. So you're like, you know, nothing happened between them.
0: Wait, was he? I thought he got up and and got
1: dressed. No, he got up. But when he pulled the sheets back, he's still wearing his pants and his belt.
0: Oh, I didn't catch that.
1: So that's why I'm thinking. Okay. So nothing happened between them right now. But then she mentions, well, he, he, she says to him, you have a tattoo on, on your thigh. And then you're, I'm thinking, well maybe something did happen between them. The, the whole movie's a head scratcher, right? Yeah, deliberately so. And she even says, "I'm helping you cuz you helped me." And I I feel like I need to watch this movie 15 times just to figure out what the hell's going on. But I guess that's why I have
0: you, Derek. Well, and this is like I said, this is one of those movies so a good story, especially a good mystery story, gives you enough clues as you're watching it the first time that when the big reveal happens at the end, you don't feel like you've been cheated. So again, I'm going to go back to the Sixth Sense, which is probably one of the all-time absolute best examples of this. There are enough clues in the movie that Bruce—so again, spoiler—that uh, Bruce Willis is the ghost—that you, they're there the first time you see it, but the way they're shared with you are subtle, and it's not until you get the reveal at the end that you're like. Oh my god, are you kidding me? And then you watch it a second time and you're like, it's so obvious. How did I miss these clues? And if those clues aren't there, you feel cheated. The payoff doesn't seem as as genuine. And and to your point, uh, you know, this movie does have some of those clues. Like you said, the very first scene, the suit is clearly too big for him. But they don't nobody mentions it. The characters in the story don't really bring it up right away it does come into play a little bit and i think that like you're saying it is definitely a head scratcher deliberately but if you watched it a second time say a couple of weeks from now because i don't think you're necessarily going to sit through it again tonight you're going to certainly pick up on some of those little details as you go through it now that you know the real story the real payoff the real motivation of why things are the way they are you can go through it with the knowledge that the main character doesn't have why is he in this situation? Why is he doing what he's doing? How did he get here? Why is he wearing those clothes? Why is he driving this car? Why is this note on the back of this photograph? Like, who is this person? Does he deserve this? All of these things, the first time through, you're like, I am lost. I don't, but you're supposed to be lost because the main character's lost. But there's definitely value in a rewatch.
1: And that's the thing I mentioned. I have to watch this movie over and over again to figure out what the hell's going on. But here's the thing. I would not watch this movie again more than once and for a couple reasons not just because i you know i didn't like it i don't want to watch it again because i think that's the point the point is for not for you to watch this a hundred times and piece everything together the point is you just said it yourself you're supposed to be just as confused as as the lead character is yes so you don't need
0: to go back and watch it again if you go back and watch it again and kind of ruin it
1: the whole whole point of it but
0: yeah you're right It, it the wow factor is missing, I think, much like my first experience. I watched it in the theater, and I loved it. And then as soon as it came out on video, I had to watch it again, knowing what I knew, so that I could look for the clues and get that satisfaction of knowing that all the pieces were there. And I just couldn't put them together because I couldn't see the box on the cover of the puzzle. But now that I know what the cover box looks like, when I watch it a second time, I'm like, oh, that's why that. Oh, yes, that's totally it. You have that aha moment 20 times. Um, but you're right. Third and fourth and fifth time viewing, you're going to be like, yeah, OK, been there, done that. This movie isn't giving me anything I didn't get the first couple of times through, which is why 20 years later, when I watched it again yesterday, I loved it as much as I loved it the first time.
1: Because it had been so long and you weren't able to put it all together,
0: right? Well, again, I remember the broad strokes, right. but there was still enough. Uh, missing that I enjoyed it, but I knew enough about it to know what to look for. So it was things like this suit that doesn't fit him. And and as he's writing notes on the back of the Polaroids, it's like I sort of remembered some of the circumstances as to why some of those notes got written on there. And I knew why in the opening scene he shoots Joey Pantoliano's character because I remembered from my previous viewings. So again, it sort of made some of the scenes made a little more sense to me as the viewer Now, the other thing you got to remember is the main character, Leonard, played by Guy Pierce, has no short term memory, but all of the other characters he interacts with are living a normal life in the right order chronologically. And they remember everything that happened in the previous scene, even though we as the audience have never seen those scenes. So a second time through, you can really pick up on some of the subtleties that some of that supporting cast where they're taking advantage of his memory loss, especially both Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano, both. Take it. Well, and the, and even, um, Bert, the, the guy at the, um, motel who rents a multiple rooms, right? Takes advantage of him. He He even tells him he's
1: taking advantage of
0: him. because It's like, you're not going to remember this anyway. Like one of my favorite scenes is with Carrie Ann Moss when, uh, uh, she comes in and she like totally tells guy Pierce, like, this is what's happening and I'm going to take advantage of your situation. But before she does that, she grabs all the pens and pencils from the room and hides them. And, the first time you watch that, you may not pick up on that right away. And then at the end of the scene when she's like, I'm going to step outside and you're going to forget this and I'm going to come in and tell you whatever I want to tell you. And then he's running around the room going, I got to write this down. I got to write this down. I got to write this down. And you're like, oh, she took all the pens. But in the scene before that, because they tap out of order, she comes in. Oh, he beat me up and I've got a bloody lip and a black eye. And the first time you watch that, you're like, oh, my God, this guy's a uh, like he's a goon. He's terrible. He beat up this woman. And 10 minutes later, you realize, oh, ho, 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 I see what's happening here. So again, it's those those little details. When you know what's happening, you can really see how that supporting cast is taking advantage of this guy. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm sure that's the case. I,
1: I just don't feel I need to go back and watch it again, because to pick up on those subtleties, I'd rather just be kind of lost in the whole movie, kind of like the yeah. character was. A couple of things that stood out to uh, Dodd. He has a note that says that Dodd is a six foot two inch blonde. But Dodd
0: wasn't blonde, was he? Uh, yeah, I absolutely. was confused by yeah. that. And, and then yeah. but, she and, wrote it all down. She's like, he because later in the movie you find that he's like write down his description. But then now, when you when I you meet Dodd, I thought
1: he I thought he had like dark hair.
0: No, 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 blonde hair. he's blonde here. He's a Canadian actor. He actually was in the Battlestar Galactica um, uh, remake that came out a few years ago. He was uh, one of the supporting characters.
1: Now, lots of things going on that I didn't understand. Like, he starts the fire and he burns the teddy bear and the hairbrush and the book and the clock. I was like, oh, is he just trying to forget his wife? I, I, he doesn't have to forget her. He forgets everything. And um, when, she, yeah, when she comes in, like you mentioned, and says that Dodd beat her up, he flexes his hand. As if he's yeah. sore from hitting And I said it to my wife. I said, I said he, look what, what he just did. So you just knew that, you know, when the next scene, it made sense to me because it turns out he's the one hitter because she yeah, had him monster. Yeah. I yeah. And the other thing too is like, he's wearing the nice suit the, and he's driving the Jaguar.
0: But insurance investigators don't make that kind of money. Drug dealers do. Right. Well, one, and the guy calls him on it. Right. Why do you think you're driving this? He's like, I got money from the insurance. I worked in insurance when my wife died. I got paid out very well. Mm hmm. So again, he's – he and then and then he calls him on it. He says, like, is that the lie you believe that you've had to tell yourself to justify this? Um, but yeah, again, it's it, – and you as the audience have, have picked up on that. But later in the movie, the dialogue tries to explain it away. So you're like, oh, well, maybe I'm too clever for my own good. Maybe that's – maybe that's true. But then in the very next scene, you're like, no, that's totally not true. I was right and the character in the movie is being taken advantage of again. And that scene in the
1: bar when she gets him the drink of beer – and then she says, let me get you another one. This one's dusty. And you see that they all spit in it, I guess, to see if he'd remember. Yeah. I guess. And then, and then I'm like, Joe Pantaleone's a cop? So, I don't know. I was really confused again. A couple things. Like, like you mentioned about it being sort of a, a triumph of filmmaking. I will say
0: this. How the hell did they edit this thing? It was nominated for an Oscar for best editing. I, it was nominated I, for a golden globe for best editing. I can see why. I mean, I, though I guess a
1: lot of that would have been built into the script though. That would have been made things easier, but it just would have been a bitch to edit. But I'll be honest with you. my thoughts, I wrote down a few thoughts when the movie was over. I instantly thought that is one of the most f-ed up movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, I was like, I have no idea what I just watched. I have no idea what it was about. I I, I I just, I was confused. I, I, my honest feeling was I just want to watch Meatballs again. Because <laughs> I'm used to those kind of movies that are just linear and they're nice and they're fun and they have fun things happen. And then this thing was just all over the place. It was uh, like, I don't know. It was, I appreciate it for what it is as a film. And I, you know, made that clear. And as, you know, a movie buff, I, I like the non-linear type of you know storytelling I appreciate it but it was just messy I don't know it was just I, I it was odd for me I mean I, I I don't know I don't know how I feel about it it's weird because I think most movies that that I watch especially here on the podcast I either love or I hate I have very strong emotions this one is in the middle for me I'm gray on this movie. I don't know how I feel okay. about this movie. I'm going
0: to take that as a victory then.
1: Yeah, like I, I because it's one of the few movies that I've had to watch that I don't really know how I feel about it. I'm not 100% okay. sure. Well,
0: that's a good question then. So yeah. why don't we put a pin in that and in in a few shows from now, mm-hmm. I'll make a note to bring this up to you. And I think, I hope, much like with my experience, the more time I thought about it, the more I seemed to enjoy it and the more I actually wanted to see it again, once I had had a chance to digest some of the pieces. So, uh, you know, I'll make a note of it. A month from now, I'll bring it up again and see if your opinion has changed. But let I, me ask you this. Yeah, I'll give you that. And your, before you get it, I'll give you that because, because I'll
1: tell you what. If we would have done this podcast last night when I turned the movie off, I would have just ranted about how much I hated it. But I slept on it and I thought about it and being able to reflect on it a day later, it's allowed me to at least say, okay, I appreciate it for what it is and I don't hate it. So you might be right onto something there. Good point. Okay.
0: Let me ask you this. Yes.
1: You watched this one with your wife. I what did. It, what was her takeaway? So like I say, she liked it in, in terms of she thought it was interesting, but mostly, she, and we, even when she got done, she's like, that was okay for me to sit through because that guy was so hot for me to look at. I'm like, oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> that was, that was her takeaway. Well, at
0: least she made it to the end. There's yeah. some movies where oh, yeah. she,
1: in she's like, I'm out. Yep. Forget it. She leaves or she falls asleep. Yep. Uh, well, I will admit one thing. I, I mentioned this a bit at the beginning. I'm not a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I find his movies, I find his filmmaking to be kind of cold, like kind of distant and detached. There was The Dark Knight. Okay, I think that one was okay. Interstellar sucked. It was way too long. It was boring. It was dumb. I'm going
0: to disagree with you on that I one know, there. I, I hard know. Hard disagree. Yancey, you are 100% right. Chris, you're less right. Everybody disagrees with me on that
1: one, and I get it. I'm, I'm on my own on that one. I just thought Interstellar sucked. Dunkirk, I went to see in the movie theater. We had some free time, my wife and I. So it was the only thing that was playing. We went to see it. Didn't like it. Thought it was dumb. I'm to the point now where I used to think that Michael Bay should stop making movies. I'm almost to the point where I think Christopher Nolan should stop making movies. But like Dude. I said, I know. I know. Dude, I know. I know. I know. I know. Just what it is. Uh, but no, this one I'm still gray on. Now that I've had a chance to reflect on I do appreciate it for what it is as a film, but I wouldn't watch it again because I think that was the whole point was that you're supposed to be kind of confused. It was not a big hit when it came out, eh?
0: I don't believe it was a hit. No. But I think much like the way I've described it, um, it, it had a lasting impression. And people wanted to see it again. I know when it came out on uh, on DVD, my wife and a few of my friends were working at the uh, the HMV by that point because the blockbusters were starting to go out of business. And they said the DVD sales were insanely good. Um, and I think this is one of those ones that it doesn't play on cable very often because it's not really a movie you can jump into halfway. Um, but on those occasions when it does show up, uh, it's, it's like if you can catch it from the beginning, I think people are more likely to watch it again um and it it certainly got critical praise uh it got nominated for two oscars the film editing we already talked about it got nominated for best screenplay Uh, it got nominated for the same award for golden globes best screenplay so it definitely gave uh christopher nolan uh and his brother whose name i want to say is jonathan nolan uh they sort of wrote it together uh gave them both a lot of street cred and then obviously once christopher nolan went on to do the batman movies now he's made all this money He, he gets a chance to do whatever he wants. Have you, question for you, have you seen the movie Inception? No, I have not. So that's another one that's got somewhat nonlinear storytelling and again, it's one of these ones where people watched it and went, oh, this is a different kind, this is a way to tell the story in a different way than we've seen before and it's been borrowed and mimicked and copied and homaged a number of times so I think if you ever do go back and watch Inception, which based on what you've said you probably never will, uh, you probably watch it and go, Oh, this looks familiar because I've seen it done in other ways, uh, in other shows and other movies, and it might almost hurt the experience because when you see it, it won't be the first time you're seeing some of those practices. But uh, I I like Christopher Nolan. I find that uh, I've seen almost all his movies. I've enjoyed all the ones that he's done that I've seen. I haven't seen Dunkirk yet. Tenet, like I said, comes out this summer. The trailer looks great. It'll probably be delayed a little bit in light of what's going on in the world, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, Memento is definitely uh, one of my favorites of his. It's uh, I enjoy it a lot. I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it who is a movie buff. But let me ask you this. If mm-hmm. I had told you or if you had known before you watched it that the story was told in reverse, do you think that would have affected your viewing experience? Mm, no i don't think so because i picked it up right away in the first scene
1: like i All mentioned right. when you first started off watching that polaroid and it started to fade i'm like okay so that's not what happens to a polaroid it's going backwards okay and so i started to kind of i picked it up pretty early yeah okay so i, so I think i was on board kind of right away with that whole concept
0: let me ask you this yep if your kids were a little older and they watched this movie not that i would suggest they do because it's clearly a restricted movie mm mm-hmm. Do you think the Polaroid would be lost on them at least at the beginning? Like, do you think they would have any concept of what this is? And like, that's one of the things that we said: the movie didn't really feel dated, except for the Polaroids and the absence of mobile phones.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this only came out in oh, it was released 2000. in two thousand. It was released
0: ninety nine and released in two thousand.
1: Yeah, I mean, released in the U S. in two thousand and one and early two thousand and one. I guess they still had Polaroids back then. My kids wouldn't know what a Polaroid was;
0: they wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. No, no. It's a generational thing. And this is one of the things when you watch older movies, the absence of cell phones sometimes can be a big issue. Like I can remember reading a novel. So one of the authors that I really, really love is Jeffrey Archer. He's written 30 or 40 books. I've read everything he's ever written. I think he's a fantastic storyteller. One of the books that he wrote, the whole plot, like a huge plot point was around the fact – so the movie, this the, the book took place in the mid-70s. And a huge part of the plot was one of the characters had key information, but he didn't have any money and he couldn't use a payphone to call in the information he knew to the people who could use it and stop the main whatever. And it's like that kind of a story wouldn't work today because everyone has a cell phone. The book would <laughs> stop on page 30 when he would say, let me borrow your cell phone for two seconds. <laughs> right? Calls it in. Hey, the bad guy is blah, blah, blah. So it's sometimes you look back at some of these old movies and you just say, if the guy had a cell phone, this wouldn't be a problem. And you got to th- – and that's my wife said. She goes, do you think they could make this movie today in the age where you have video phones and you could just make yourself notes or you could send yourself videos? Uh, and we're like, "I don't. I don't think it would work the same way. I think it would – I think you could possibly remake it but you would really have to figure out how to make the phone part work. I think you would – instead of having tattoos – I think he would have a series of videos on his phone. I think that's how that would work. And you would intercut the videos from the phone with the the scenes in the movie. I think instead of doing the black and white scenes as a flashback, I think you get the videos on the phone to tell the the, quote linear part of the story. But it is what it is. I mean the time in which the movie was shot, I think they did – he did the best job he could with the technology as it was available. And I think it works. I love it. I, I would give this movie a solid 9 out of 10.
1: Yeah, I'd probably, from a, from a filmmaking perspective, I'd probably give it a seven. Um, Overall, I'd probably give it like a five or a six, just in terms of enjoyability. I do have a question in, in regard to the tattoo. You mentioned the tattoos, and it brought to mind a sure. question. Why didn't he just write on himself with a pen? Because it would wash off?
0: Yeah, I think that was the idea. Because he mentions that some, uh, to someone at, in the movies, like, you never write anything on your hand to remember. But as we've learned in the last few weeks, if you're washing your hands seven, eight, nine, ten times a day— Whatever you write on, there is not is, is going to wash away. Now, of course, if it's in a Sharpie or something else, that's another thing. But you've, you already saw two or three characters in this movie taking advantage of the fact that he doesn't have the ability to make short-term memories. And the permanency of a tattoo gives him that peace of mind that this is important enough that no matter what else is going on, I'm never going to forget this information.
1: Hmm, makes sense.
0: Okay. On that note, let's have some. Fun with Caveman. All
1: right, Derek, non-linear storytelling. It's been a cinematic device for a while, right? We saw it here in this movie with Memento. All the movies in tonight's trivia have non-linear storytelling as part of the movie. Either the story goes back and forth or there's flashbacks or things go backwards or whatever. Any of those kind of plot devices. So heres it's going to make it simple. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll give you the year and the synopsis. All you have to do is name the film. Okay. You got Sounds it? simple, but yeah, I'm sure it's easy. It be more complicated
0: than I expected it to be. Nice and easy, but all these movies
1: have non-linear storytelling aspects to them. Okay. So, so that's kind of a giveaway, okay? All right. All right. 1941. Following the death of, of a publishing tycoon, reporters scramble to uncover the meaning of his final utterance. Rosebud. Yes. Uh, this would be
0: Citizen Kane by Orson Welles.
1: Of course it is. Starting with an easy one. Okay. Obviously, and that was one of the first movies ever that had that nonlinear storytelling, right? Yep. All right. Here's an easy one. 1992, when a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant.
0: Yep. So again, we already mentioned Pulp Fiction. This is Reservoir Dogs by Tarantino.
1: Of course it is. Congratulations. All right. 1997. A 17-year-old aristocrat falls in love with a kind but poor artist above a luxurious, ill-fated cruise ship.
0: Uh, oh, is that Titanic? It is Titanic. Oh, okay. I'm yes. oh, like, Huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: lots of back and forth in that one, if you remember. Uh, okay, 2004. When their relationship turns sour, a couple undergoes a medical procedure to have each other erased from their memories.
0: Yes, yeah. This is uh, Eternal Sunshine on the spotless mind. Geez, who's the director? Was it the Coen brothers? It doesn't matter. No, it's Eternal. It Fairly Sun- Brothers. It was. I can't remember. But that was the movie. Right? Yeah, it's Eternal Sunshine of the spotless mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jim Carrey and yeah. uh, Girl from Titanic. Yeah. escapes me. K- Kate Winslet. There you go.
1: Two thousand and three. After awakening from a four-year coma. A former assassin wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her.
0: Oh. Uh, Are we going back to Tarantino? Is this Kill Bill Volume 1?
1: It is Kill Bill Volume 1. Tarantino
0: loves this storytelling. He sure does. He's mastered it. Yeah. Okay, 1998.
1: A London woman's love life and career both hinge, unknown to her, on whether or not she catches a train. We see it
0: both ways in parallel yeah i love this movie sliding doors with gwyneth paltrow Do <clears throat> you ever watch this movie chris never seen it it was good we may have to do it on a future pod it was really good yeah you have to nominate that one for sure 1995 a
1: sole survivor tells of the twisty events leading up to a horrific gun battle on a boat which began when five criminals met at a seemingly random police lineup
0: Nice. Yeah, this was um The Usual Suspects. That is correct. Yeah. Love this movie. Those no. are
1: these are all great movies. Oh, yeah. 1996. At the close of World War II, a young nurse tends to a badly burned plane crash victim. His past is shown in flashbacks, revealing an involvement in a fateful love
0: affair. Yeah. Uh, based on the book by Michael Ondace, Canadian, this is the English Patient.
1: It is the English Patient, correct? Yep. 1977. Neurotic New York comedian Alvy Singer falls in love with a ditzy but lovable woman. Alvy
0: Singer. Alvy Singer. Why is this name familiar? Alvy Singer. Oh, um, beat out Star Wars for Best Picture. Annie Hall. That's correct. Yes. Here we go.
1: Mentioned this on the podcast before, too. Uh, 1990, mourning his dead child, a haunted Vietnam War veteran attempts to uncover his past while suffering from a severe case of dissociation. To do so, he must decipher reality and life from his own dreams, delusions, and perceptions of death.
0: This sounds like a horror movie, not a genre I'm big on. I have no idea. Does not sound familiar at all. It's Jacob's Ladder. I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay.
1: 2008. A teenager reflects on his life after being accused of cheating on a popular game show.
0: A teenager, you say? Yes. Uh, 2008. Wow. Wow. I'm thinking I should know this, but no, you know what? Nothing, nothing's coming to me. I don't know. Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, of course. (laughs) Another Best Picture Oscar. Yes. That was, and again, another great movie. Another By Danny Boyle. Yep.
1: 1998, after a botched money delivery, a woman has 20 minutes to come up with 100,000 Deutschmarks.
0: Wow. Well, Deutschmarks would imply German. Uh... Ninety eight Germany. Jeez, I have no idea. Doesn't sound familiar. Run Lola Run. Never saw it. Oh god, it's a good movie. I heard it's really good. Yeah, no, I've never seen it. So good.
1: I'll have to nominate that one for you, even though that uh, it took place after 1989. I'll nominate that for you sometime. Okay. A couple more. Nineteen eighty-four. A former Prohibition era Jewish gangster returns to the lower east side of Manhattan over thirty years later where he once again must confront the ghosts and regrets of his
0: old life. So I think, I think I know the answer to this. And if it's the one I'm thinking of, I literally just started watching it this week. And I got an hour into this four hour movie and went, not for me. Is the answer Once Upon a Time in America?
1: The answer is... Once upon a time in yeah. America. Congratulations. Yeah. I've yes. never seen
0: it. Sergio Leone <laughs> yep. and uh, uh, what's his name? Robert De Niro. Yep. I'm looking at the cast. I going, this cast is amazing. And I watched the first hour and I was just like, oh, my God, this is so slow and boring. <laughs> it's And it's three hours and 50 some odd minutes. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. It's taking up too much room on my recorder. Delete. I'm done.
1: OK, a couple more for you. 1970. A man is trying desperately to be certified insane during World War II so he can stop flying missions.
0: Wow. Uh, wow. Sorry, what was the year again? 72? 1970. 1970? Wow. I, I, wow, it sounds so familiar. No, I don't know.
1: Based on the book by jo- Joseph Heller, Catch 22.
0: Never seen it. Never okay. read the book. Never seen it. I didn't know that's what that was about.
1: And this last one, night from nineteen ninety-seven, a bus crash in a small town brings a lawyer to the town to defend yep. the families, but he discovers that everything is not what it seems. Canadian film. And it this is one of the
0: very first movies I ever bought on DVD. The Sweet Hereafter.
1: Oh, it was so good with Ian Holm. And oh, just as a tie back good. to the original thing that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, Ian Holm was in Time Bandits. Nice. Yes. yes. He was also in Alien. When I was watching it with my kids, yep. I said, oh, that guy was in this movie Alien that Derek made me watch. But nice. uh, anyway, you did pretty good. You
0: got you got yeah. most of them. So the ones, I, Yeah, the only ones I missed were the ones I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. But uh, nice. all of them, pretty good movies. For the most part. Yeah. No, that was a that was an exceptionally good list. And mm-hmm. like I said, the, one of the only ones that you didn't have – well, Pulp Fiction you didn't have on there, but you had two other two. Ah, I figured that one I'll was too easy. That. Yeah. And uh, like I said, there's one – I want to say it's like from 97, 98-ish. It's called Go. It's another pretty good one. It's got a young cast. A gr- fantastic uh, soundtrack. Like – Stupidly, good. It's one of those ones where the soundtrack is almost better than the movie, and the movie was still pretty good in its own right. Uh, so if anyone's looking for something decent to watch with this nonlinear, that one was a pretty good example as well.
1: Mm, I'll have to take a look at that one. And you're going to definitely have to watch Run, Lola, Run at some point.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those ones that's always been so on my good. watch list, and it's just I never got around to watching it. I saw it in the movie theater Wow!
1: at the time. I know of all things. I, I was dating a girl at the time that really liked, uh, like me, she liked obscure foreign films. And so she's like, let's go see this foreign film. And it was like this sort of hole in the ground kind of theater that showed all these independent films. And I went there and I just loved the movie. Loved it. Thought it was
0: fantastic. So, Well, and I know the, so although I've never seen the movie, I've seen a number of things that have ripped off or borrowed the storytelling technique from Run, Lola Run. So I think it's one of those ones that when I do see it, some of the the wow factor is going to be lost because it's like, oh, I've already seen this done in other homages or other ripoffs. But anyway, I still definitely want to see it. Yeah, just when I, you know, that movie, the thing I like about it is just when you think
1: the United States and Hollywood has kind of cornered the market on action films, you know, when you think about Hollywood, it always does, you know, the big action movies and the big budget films and and they've got all that. You watch a movie like Run, Lola, Run. Another one that jumps out to me is from Hong Kong called Hard Boiled.
0: Oh, yeah. I've seen that one. Chow Yun Fat. I think I have the Criterion version of that on DVD, actually. So good. You watch those two movies and you realize,
1: okay, Hollywood, you're doing it all wrong. (laughs) You know, these guys have got it so much better just in terms of action. I remember watching Hard Boiled from beginning to end and just so good like, wow you know that's of stuff i uh, we'll have to do some well have to maybe do a a topic on like foreign films at one yeah point.
0: yeah for sure
1: i like a lot of foreign films especially old old foreign friends i know that's really surprising that i would like old things but uh, i really like a lot of foreign films so we'll have to t- put that on our list too
0: nice all right another good show chris what are we doing next week uh so next week we're gonna come back with the top five Okay. You,
1: you and I, we won't we won't mention what it is right now. We'll come back next episode with that. But we'll talk about it off the air and we'll figure out what we're going to do and we'll get ready for that. And if you want to reach out to us, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can reach Derek uh, on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at c mcbryan. Again, popgoesyourworld.com is our website. All of our contact information is there. You can email us and reach out to us. Until next show, this is Chris Mcbryan for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.